This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. You could find it printed in the bulletin. You could also follow along in your own Bibles. Gospel of Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. And on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Would you please be seated and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for the record of the work and words of our Savior Jesus Christ. As recorded in the Gospels, we thank you specifically for this, the Gospel of Luke this morning and for the ways that Luke records insights into Jesus' life and ministry not recorded in other Gospels. This story, especially this morning, the story of the ten lepers, the only place we find it in the Gospels here in Luke chapter 17. We ask our Father that by the work of your Spirit, you would use this among your people for sanctifying us, for equipping us to glorify You, for making us more like our Jesus, whom we love and we sing the praises of. We ask that You would do this, Father, for Your glory. In His name we pray. Amen. Just as a reminder, before we look at the passage, there is the kids' gym in the back if you need to go and get away with your children. If they need to move around a little bit, there is a special needs seating area in the hall if you need a little peace and quiet. And also, every Sunday we have two deacons always on duty in case you need them. Today, Graham Leach and Ryan White, you can find them if you need them, either in the hallways or monitoring the situation in all these rooms. So please ask if you need help. But this morning, as we look at this passage... I think that all of us can resonate. This is a passage about gratitude. And I would say that most of us likely struggle with ingratitude in our lives. Most of us do. We struggle with it in our own hearts, and we struggle with it in our own homes. You can recognize it in the things that you're thinking, in the things that you're feeling. You can recognize it when it comes to birthday time or Christmas time and the giving and receiving of presents and the things that you witness others saying or the things you, again, feel in your own hearts. We wrestle with ingratitude to one degree or another. One author, as he was speaking about this passage, said that ingratitude is the endemic of our culture. 
It is the problem of our generation. And I believe that is certainly true. Well, in our home, we wrestle with the very same thing. We wrestle with it in our own hearts. We wrestle with it with our own children. And that's why we had this event about a year and a half ago that kind of was refreshing to us to witness a little bit of genuine gratitude. Here's what happened. We had had our two foster kids with us for about six months, and uh, the older foster child, his name was Grayson, his birthday was soon approaching. We didn't know if he would be with us for his birthday, whether he would leave or whether he would be in our home, but we wanted to plan for him a birthday party. And so we said, Grayson, where would you like to have your birthday party? We were expecting a response somewhere between something as simple as the park or in the backyard to maybe something as complex as Disney World. Not that we could have given him everything he would have asked for, but we wanted him the opportunity to be able to choose or to express where he would like to have his birthday party. He was turning four. And so after a brief pause and he was thinking, I said to him again, I said, Grayson, if you could have your birthday party anywhere, where would you have your birthday party? And he said out loud, he said, hmm, I think I'd like to have it in the living room or maybe the kitchen, either one. For us, it was a moment of genuine gratitude. You see, Genuine gratitude comes out of a heart that recognizes its desperate need, its own desperate need. And in that desperation, in that need, genuine gratitude is expressed in a recognition of receiving something that you do not deserve. And in Grayson's little heart, he had been in a constant state of desperate need. And with the question of where would you like to have your birthday party, he realized that he had this opportunity he had never had before. And he was satisfied with any room in the house to have his birthday party. This morning, this passage has for its theme, the theme of gratitude. The one leper who returns to give thanks to God, to fall at the feet of Jesus, expresses gratitude not present in the other nine. And this morning as we talk about this gratitude, here's what I want you to know. Over the last four or five chapters, we have seen Jesus describing some of the many fruits of saving faith, okay? Some of the products of saving faith. You remember last week, uh, one of the things Jesus mentioned is that those who have saving faith will desire to see God. They will want to be near to Him. But the week before, they will have a hatred of sin. These are the fruits of saving faith. This morning, one of the fruits of saving faith is a genuine, born out of the gospel, desire to demonstrate gratitude to God. It's one of the fruits of saving faith. Now, in the next chapters, Jesus is going to change His direction and begin to speak about other things. So I want to use the opportunity this morning to reflect on the nature of saving faith. And the things that we witness in this passage concerning the nature of that saving faith. You see, as we read this passage this morning, I think there's one thing going to be obvious that needs to be talked about. And that is that there are at least two different kinds of faith that we find in Scripture and we find present today in the world around us. 
I've called them on the insert, I've called them a situational faith and a saving faith. As we look at the passage this morning, here's what you'll note. Situational faith and saving faith, they have many of the same characteristics. They can feel the same. They can even be expressed in the same ways. But the results of situational faith versus saving faith are very different. They're very different, and therefore it behooves the church of God to study the differences between situational faith and saving faith. That's what we're going to do this morning. So let's begin verse 11. Verse 11, Luke picks up the narrative and he says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, as you've been listening to the reading and the preaching of God's Word over the last probably 15 weeks, you'll realize that it's been a long time since Luke has mentioned anything in the narrative of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. For five chapters now, we've had a record of Jesus' words and His instruction without much of the story of where Jesus is going and what He's doing. And so here Luke picks back up on the narrative and we find that Jesus is still on the way to Jerusalem. He has been along the way predicting His own betrayal and death, and now we find that He resumes that journey to Jerusalem, passing between the areas of Samaria and Galilee. And the passage says in verse 12, as he entered this village, an unnamed village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Now, these lepers were unclean. They were sick. They were visibly sick. The law of God required that they remain at a distance from the other healthy people. And so, they were likely now camping out on the outskirts of this village away from the the hustle and the bustle of what was happening in the town. They had removed themselves according to the law of God. And as I mentioned, they were visibly sick. If you had leprosy, it was obvious that you had leprosy. You could have witnessed these men from afar with open sores on their skin and wounds that were obvious, but likely even more a progressive leprosy in this day and age. And so, Some of them might have had missing fingers and toes, missing limbs, a visible deformity in their face, their eyes, their ears, their nose. It would have been obvious to anyone who witnessed them that they were sick and that you were to remain a far away distance from this group of ten lepers. Now, standing at a distance, it says, they lifted up their their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The law prescribed that they were to remain at least a hundred paces away from another healthy person. Almost a football field in distance, away from Jesus as He prepared to enter the village. They yelled out, and it must have been in a loud voice, Master, have mercy on us. They desired that Jesus would heal them. And you might be wondering, well, how do they know about Jesus? I think they probably knew of Jesus for a variety of reasons, and probably not just one reason. We know that in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sent ahead the 72 disciples, right, to go to all the villages and towns proclaiming the work of Christ and that Jesus was coming. It is very likely that as Jesus healed and performed miracles that people would go out saying, Jesus is coming. The one who is healing, be ready. Here He comes. And so as He approached the town. The group of ten lepers camped out on the outskirts of the village, shouted in a loud voice, Master, 
have mercy on us. And what does Jesus do? It says in verse 14, when he saw them, that he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And you might be wondering, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? We have to read between the lines here. And I want to tell you something. As Jesus has been working His miracles throughout the Gospels, He has been doing more and more to demonstrate His absolute authority over all creation. Okay? So as you begin in the Gospels, Jesus is healing and He's touching and people are healed and He's saying you are healed and they're healed. But now He doesn't need to touch He doesn't need to prescribe any action. He doesn't even say you are healed. He simply tells them to go present themselves to the priest. Why would they present themselves to the priest? Well, it's very simple, okay? The Old Testament law that prescribed that you're unclean, you're to remain at 100 paces, left the work of declaring clean and unclean to the priest. The, The priest would decide, you need to remain outside, you're pretty good, you can come in. You seem to be healthy, you seem to be not healthy, okay? Jesus is saying to the lepers, go present yourself to the priest. And when you get there, the priest will declare you to be cleansed. Okay? And so Jesus sends them on their way. We don't know why the ten men went. We don't know if some of them were saying, well, this sounds pretty good. I I believe him. I think we're going to be healed. Or if others are saying, okay, if you go, I'll go. Uh, I guess we don't have much to lose. Let's just go present ourselves to the priest and see what happens, okay? But they all ten go, making their way to the priest who would have been in the town. And the passage says, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I have to imagine that they began to notice this in the people around them before they began to notice this in themselves. Maybe maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe it's vice versa. But I would imagine that as they were walking on their way to the priest, they began to look around, noticing men to their left and men to the right who were maybe having fingers and toes restored, maybe who were hobbling on their way, beginning to walk in an upright manner, having deformities begin to be corrected. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I imagine they began to witness ten men kind of reborn anew. And it was an absolutely astonishing thing that they witnessed all around them. They went and they were cleansed. And this morning as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 17, if that was all you had, you might conclude, well, those ten lepers, they had faith in God. They believed, and I would imagine they were saved, okay? Sometimes we make those conclusions with other miraculous events in the Gospels, right? We often don't have all the details, but we see someone who comes to Jesus begging or pleading to be healed. And Jesus heals them, and they go away. And we say, well, that that must have been, they must have had saving faith. They must have been saved. They must have been redeemed. They seem to express it in their words, and Jesus heals them. And there's no evidence to the contrary. But you see, thankfully, as we read this story, we get an example of what saving faith actually looks like. We get to compare it to the nine other men who have what I suggest to you this morning in the handout is what I would call a situational faith. Situational faith that they demonstrate in this passage. What does situational faith look like? It's very simple. 
looks like what these nine men have. They want something from Jesus, okay? They want a situation to be remedied. They want for themselves to be healed. And they go to Jesus asking Him to do it. But beyond that, there's really nothing else to their faith. It is a selfish faith, a self-gratifying faith. It has none of the evidences of saving faith that we'll witness in the tenth leper. It is a product of their own desire. And it seems they could take or leave Jesus as long as He's willing to heal them, to remedy their situation. And we ought not be surprised to witness situational faith in the Gospels because we've already seen it a number of times, even in the Gospel of Luke. We see it other places in Scripture. Let me give you an example, okay? In Acts chapter 8, Simon the magician, Philip the evangelist, is preaching to Simon the magician. And Simon the magician, it is said, heard the Word of God, and he was baptized by Philip. And we say, man, that sounds like saving faith, doesn't it? But then we go ten verses later, and Simon the magician meets Peter, And Peter says to Simon the magician, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Repent of the wickedness of your heart, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. That's one instance in Scripture where we see a, a situational faith where Simon the magician desires what God can do for him, but he has no other intention in his heart of coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews also speaks of this very thing. In Hebrews chapter 4, when the writer of Hebrews says that there will be those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and yet they will be unsaved. See, even in that passage, the writer of Hebrews depicts a picture of individuals who are like the nine lepers who appear to have a faith in Jesus. But when all is said and done, we find it's just a situational faith. A faith that is simply asking God for something that it can get from God. That comes not in humble reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That evidences itself not in the way that the faith of the tenth leper describes itself. See, this morning I would suggest to you that situational faith is prevalent in the church. That situational faith is being preached. That situational faith is being shared and evangelized throughout this world. One author said, the evangelism of today is not only superficial to the last degree, but it is radically defective. You see, many would reduce faith to a cognitive assent in our minds. That simply Jesus can do something for me. And if I assent in my mind that Jesus can do something for me, well, that must be faith. You see, faith is reduced to something like a mere pledge of allegiance, a tipping of the cap to God, a saying, if I just verbalize with my mouth that I trust you for something, then I am saved. Easy faith is reduced to an easy Christianity and an easy following of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the nine lepers in this passage are experiencing this morning. One of the Puritans in writing on this passage said that God's way of salvation is almost entirely unknown today. 
The nature of Christ's salvation is almost universally misunderstood, and the terms of His salvation are misrepresented. The gospel which is now being proclaimed is in nine cases out of every ten, but a perversion of the truth. I'm not sure if I would agree with nine times out of every ten, but you get the picture. The salvation or the faith that is being preached oftentimes today is a situational faith. It's not an abiding, saving faith as we see written in Scripture. Then this begs the question, okay, what is saving faith? What is saving faith? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What are its fruits? What will it be like when we experience saving faith? Well, let's look at the rest of this passage. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Let me just offer a side note here. You might have mentioned, not, uh, you might have seen nine Jews, one Samaritan. And you might have been thinking, well, I didn't think the Jews and the Samaritans hung out together. And they don't. They never do. Except with groups of lepers, okay? You put a group of sick people together, and a lot of the difference is that divided them before become not that important because there are 10 lepers at this point. There are 10 people suffering together, okay, being rejected by their society. It doesn't matter what nationality they are. And here is the Samaritan. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan, and then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. One of the most important parts of this passage is what Jesus says in verse 19. In verse 19, he says, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. And if you're reading in the ESV or you're reading in the New American Standard, you will notice that there's a footnote right there at the end of your verse. And if you take the footnote and you go to the bottom of your page, what are you going to read? It's going to say, or has saved you. Or has saved you. And here's what this passage says. The Greek word at the end of verse 19, the very end of Jesus' words, is the Greek word sozo. Sozo. And if you know the Greek word sozo, you know there's only one Greek word in the New Testament for the English word to be saved. Okay? Every time that we hear the saving work of Jesus, it's the Greek word sozo. Here's exactly what verse 19 says if we're to translate it literally. It says, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has redeemed you. Your faith has given you salvation. You see, when we read verse 19, we get a more clear picture of what is happening in the life of the 10th leper. And all of the best writers and commentators and pastors and theologians who have written on the Gospel of Luke, the the experts in Luke, they all affirm this very thing. Listen to what they say. I.H. Marshall, one of the most well-respected Lucan scholars, says his faith was both the means of his cure and the means of his salvation. Joseph Fitzmaier says, Your faith has brought you salvation. 
John Nolan, on commenting on this passage, says, but as much of a foreigner as this man might be, he is now sent off by Jesus, a person who has experienced the salvation that Jesus came to bring. None of the others, despite their newfound freedom from leprosy, would receive this special blessing from Jesus. You see, the simplest explanation of the passage, the most basic understanding of the text is the right understanding of this passage. That is that the tenth leper, Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. That he has been saved by faith. Now, let me give you then a definition for saving faith, okay? Here's what I believe the Bible teaches us that saving faith is. Saving faith consists of a complete surrender of my whole being and life to the claims of God upon me. Saving faith consists of a complete surrender of my whole being and life to the claims of God upon me. One other author put it like this, where Christ saves he subdues the will, and he implants a genuine desire to please him. This is saving faith. It involves the verbal assent, the belief in God, but it is also evidenced in the humble reliance, the submission of the will, the yielding to the Father. This is what happens in the life of this tenth leper. You see, this is what modern evangelicalism has missed, okay? This is what has been lost in the easy expressions of a situational faith that we see in the nine other lepers. And I really think as we read this passage, we are meant to hone in on the evidences of saving faith. Okay, because you might be sitting there and you might be saying, okay, well, if that's what saving faith is, then how do I know that I have that? How do I know that my life is yielded to God? How do I know that I am in now humble reliance upon His work in my life? How do I know that it's not just what the nine lepers have? Well, Jesus is giving us the fruits of saving faith, okay? This is, we, we can test our own lives through this, right? And what have we said? A hatred for sin. That was three weeks ago. A desire to see God and to be near to Him. That was last week, Okay. What do we see this morning from the 10th leper? We see this gratitude that pours forth from his heart. He overflows with gratitude. Look at the passage. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. The Greek word for loud voice is a compound word, megaphonos. You've heard that before, a megaphone, right? It literally says that he returned shouting and screaming and yelling and singing the praises of God that everyone around him might hear that he was glorifying God for what God had done in his life, okay? And I would suggest to you this morning, this isn't a praise out of rote duty. It's not as if the man is saying, okay, I've been healed. Let me go to the synagogue and do my duty to God. Let me go sing the songs, pray the prayers. I'll do what I got to do. It's obvious that's not what's happening, right? He went with a loud voice declaring the praises of God. It overflowed from his heart. It came out of the emotion of salvation. Having been saved by God, now it poured out of him and he could not control the thanksgiving that came from his heart. And in verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. 
You see, what saving faith that has worked in the heart of the believer, one of its fruits is gratitude. And the gratitude that gets worked in our hearts, it produces a response that is, involves at least physical aspects of our nature. Okay? So the man who was saved had gratitude in his heart, and what did he do? He cried out. He fell on his face. He declared the praises of God. He could not be contained in his thanksgiving. This was the evidence of his salvation. It was the evidence of the saving work of the Spirit in his life. And the response of Jesus then to him shows the distinction between this tenth leper and the nine others. Jesus says, we're we're not ten cleansed? Didn't I just heal ten people? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, the problem that Jesus is pointing out is very simple. For the tenth leper, God had become the focus of his gratitude, the focus of his world, right? The, the everything that his heart was concerned with, and for the nine others, it was not the case, okay? Their own healing, their new status in society, their desire to get back to their home, whatever became the center of their world. But for the tenth leper, it was the glory of God. So let me just tell you this. Everything that we read about in Scripture the miracles of Christ, the preaching and proclamation of the Word, the gathering of God's people, even the things that are happening in the church today, the weekly gathering of the saints, the declaration of the praises, and the things that we do together. All of this is designed by God to draw us to His Son and to glorify Him, okay? That's the evidence that God is at work in this man's heart giving him saving faith because it is now orienting his life to the Son and to the glory of the Father. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Now, just hear the last thought, okay? Why is gratitude produced in a heart where the Spirit is working? Let's put it very simply, okay? If the Spirit is working in a heart, there are at least two things that must be true in that heart. There must be a recognition of the need And there must be a recognition of the saving work of Christ, okay? So think about those two things. If the Spirit of God is at work in a heart, that individual must recognize that they are condemned. They are under the wrath of God. They are in rebellion to the Creator, that they have no hope in their own natural state, and they recognize how destitute, how needy, how terrible is their situation. And the second thing that heart recognizes is that Christ has died, not for anything in and of me, but because He desired to set His affection upon me. That I am desperately needy and wanting and have no power to save myself, and that another has died for me and has reconciled me to God. Those two things couldn't be more different, could they? But in a heart that recognizes both of those things, that heart recognizes the great distance between both. And the heart that is desperately needy and knows its own need but experiences the grace of God, that heart can't help but be grateful. Just like I began the morning, the expression of Grayson, whatever room he could have his birthday party in, didn't matter because his heart was needy and he recognized the grace in just having a birthday party. 
This is what's happening in the heart of the leper. It's what happens in our hearts when the Spirit of God is working in us. R. Kent Hughes, when he was commenting on this passage, he, he said, because of this, scripturally, thankless Christians are a contradiction in terms. Okay? You get that? Biblically, a thankless Christian is a contradiction in term. It's like saying two very opposite things. A Christian has to be thankful. A Christian has to have gratitude in their hearts if they comprehend in their own hearts that distance between what they deserve and what they've been given. Okay? That's why gratitude is a fruit of saving faith that is being worked in our hearts. I'll finish this morning with a, a, a brief little story, I think, that highlights this. Charles Spurgeon, in his memoirs, he records this interaction that he had with a particular woman. And when he met her, she was not a Christian, and she wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But he kept getting together with her and sharing the gospel, and he notes in his memoir, one of the things about her is that she was a very talkative woman, okay? He wrote that down. She talked. She always talked. She always talked. And he could get very few words in edgewise, but they continued meeting together, and he's preaching the gospel to her. And one day, she came to saving faith. And he talks about in his memoir how beautiful it was, but he says that when she was saved, she said to him, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ should save me, he will never hear the end of it. That was her expression of how talkative that she was, right? But you see, in that way, I think that woman was expressing what God desires of all of us, right? Our Savior desires that the saints, those whom He has redeemed, would be every minute, every hour of every day, speaking back to Him His saving work. Talking about it, thinking about it, praying about it, declaring it every minute. You see, this will be the eternal occupation of the redeemed in this world and the next. This is what we will be doing. We will be declaring the praises of our God, and we will be speaking of His saving work, and that will glorify the Father, it will glorify the Son, and it will glorify the Spirit. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is very simple. As we continue our morning, as we continue worshiping together, let's sing together and let's pray together and let's declare the praises of God as the saints of God who have been redeemed from the condemnation and the wrath we deserve through the grace of our Lord by faith, having been given the gift of faith, redeemed for eternity. Let's sing like that with loud voices. Let's fall at the feet of our Jesus, declaring our praises. Let's, His praises, let's do that together. Would you please join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we confess our Lord and our God that we need you working in us. We need you every day, your Spirit showing us our sin, moving us in a hatred of that sin, showing us the righteousness of Christ and making us to cling to that righteousness. Help us, Lord, to be more and more dependent upon You. And give us, Lord God, assurance of our salvation as we see the fruits of saving faith in our hearts. May we hate our sin, 
May we desire to see more of you. May we want to be near to you. And may we have a gratitude that is produced in us that we cannot contain. And may we, like the tenth leopard, shout and proclaim and sing your praises that you might be glorified. And may we demonstrate our thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior who has died on our behalf. And Lord, I ask if there are those here or those who are watching online, those who will hear this message who have not received you with a saving faith, who have not been given the gift of faith by your Spirit, I pray, Lord God, that you would work in those hearts, that you would give the gift of faith, opening the eyes of the heart, moving hearts to humbly be in submission to you, laying down lives for the will of the Father, that you, Lord, would save and you would redeem lost sinners for yourself that we would spend eternity with you singing your praises. We thank you, our Father. We thank you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and, your, and Savior. We thank you, Spirit of God, who works among us. And we ask, Lord, that this would be for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.